Welcome to the Bully Pew Podcast brought to you by Protestia.com. This is the show where, well, we just, you kind of ride around with me and I talk about stuff. And we are, this is what uh, some high church folks might call Holy Week. I'm a Baptist, so I really don't uh, use that terminology, but you might. It's not a sin issue or something like that, but I wanted to talk about Easter. I wanted to talk about Easter, which... Um, I'm sad to say has kind of turned into, um, rather than perhaps a, a Lord's Day where we add uh, perhaps some additional emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus, which by the way we should be celebrating every Sunday, but it's kind of become the, the Evangelical Super Bowl. And I think that's unfortunate. We're going to talk about that, though. This program is brought to you by the troublemakers at protestia.com and all of our wonderful and intrepid patron supporters who for only $9.95 a month can support all the work being done at Protestia. I never say that on the Bully Pew podcast, but it is true. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash protestia and join the fight on a financial level starting at $5.95 a month. There are other tiers of support, and we are, of course, grateful and appreciative of anything uh, that you can do to support this ministry, including maybe just sharing the podcast or sharing articles or not being afraid to quote us if you are if you happen to be a pastor or someone in, in some sort of evangelical institution, Christian institution. That seems to be the the modus operandi of those in in Christian circles is uh, read Protestia, uh, but don't let anybody know you read Protestia. So that's I guess that's just that's just how it is. That's just the position of this this ministry in the ecosystem. And you know what? We're while we might be annoyed with that from time to time, we're actually okay with it. The important thing is that truth is being uh, spoken, and that these that. that issues within the church are being discerned and being tested and all the things that that God's word tells us to do. So if if you happen to be a pastor that appreciates what we do and you don't want to, you know, be seen with us in public or something, all right, fine. That's that's, you know, we'll 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 live with it. Hopefully it's blessing you and your church family anyway. <laughs> anyway, so let's let's talk about Easter. Let's talk about Easter and a lot of the things that I'm going to say kind of apply to Christmas as well, although honestly a little bit less because Christmas, as as we all know, has become far more, it's been far more commercialized than Easter. There's a lot of other, there's a lot of uh, other secular components around the Christmas season, a lot of, a lot more tradition around the Christmas season in terms of secular traditions than Easter. Easter is kind of the one where most pagans sort of leave it alone. So if you um, don't even pretend to be a Christian, uh, you're probably not going to celebrate Easter at all. But there are a lot of um, uh, folks that don't even pretend to be Christian who celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a strong enough, um, has a strong enough secular presence that while they, they might they might acknowledge Christmas's historical uh, meaning, celebrating the birth of Jesus... And what that might mean to Christians, it does not bother them to not celebrate that part of it. Still call it Christmas, still do the gifts, still do all of the, the traditional um, holiday festivities. And yet Easter is sort of left alone, right? Easter is, it is still commercialized to a degree. But Easter, I would argue Easter in a lot of ways is more commercialized by the church, by the church itself, by institutional churches. 
I realize I use that word institutional a lot. What I'm what I'm d- describing basically is, uh, you know, formal formal groups, formal institutions, formal organizations. So a local church is an institution. Now it is an inst- that that's an institution of Scripture. That's an institution commissioned by God Himself. Uh, versus something like you know a protestia or another parachurch organization, which can be described as an institution, but it's not a it's not a necessary and biblically commissioned institution. Um, nothing wrong with that inherently. But what you notice around this time of year is there are a lot of churches that well they they market Easter, they they use it as a you know seeing Easter as one of those one of those holidays where uh, people come to church that don't normally come to church. They they try to do everything in their power to make sure that the the CEO, quote-unquote Christians, that's what we nickname them, CEO, Christmas and Easter-only Christians, will go to their church instead of the church down the street on Easter. Now, the, the funny thing about that is the, the vast majority of those CEO um, Christians, vast majority of them will not come back to your church the next Sunday, they're basically checking off a box. They're not, they're not seekers is that as tra- you know, traditional Baptists might describe, well, they're seekers. They're looking for Jesus. No, they, they think they've already found Jesus. They think that, um, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do to remain quote unquote Christian. You know, so they sh- they'll show up on Christmas Easter. They'll check that box. You know, they'll, they'll, spiritually genuflect at the at, at the altar of some church it doesn't even really matter what church it is or what they believe for a lot of these folks and then they'll go back go back to their regular lives again it's a technicality they're they're, they're checking a box um and they're trying to, to to cover themselves they're trying to you know quote unquote do just enough to apparently remain in god's good graces but they're they're not coming back to your church the next sunday and I know everybody's going to have an antidote where they say, "No, this one person came Easter one time, and and then they then they then they uh, started coming to our church." That does happen. That does happen. But the question is, is that if if they really have been regenerated, if God has actually called them, Christ has has drawn them to Himself, is that because you did all the fancy marketing and 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 what to get them to your church rather than another church? Well, of course not. We. God doesn't move. The spirit, the spirit doesn't move um, as He moves because of our fancy programs, or because you know our church had the right background music, or the right colors, or the right um, you know special musical numbers, or the or the special sermon that was crafted um, with with full knowledge that we have um, a, a sanctuary full of unbelievers on an Easter Sunday. That doesn't that doesn't make the spirit move. You know, certainly with the right heart. Um, and the right, the right emphasis and true doctrine, um, God uses us within within this process. But the spirit, the, the spirit isn't waiting for us to make sure that we dress up the church all Eastery and do a bunch of um, um, you know special, unique things for just this Sunday, knowing that people are going to be um, you know checking off their two times a year church box. And yet, there are dozens of websites online that provide what are really marketing materials, right? Graphics and video assets and bumper music and logos and I mean, you name it, so that, so that um, your church can be as attractional as possible to, to the lost world, to an unbelieving world. 
or you know in our culture to a world that in a in a a society that likes to call itself Christian while simultaneously of course not being Christian you know in any sort of identifiable theological sense many of you may not know my education my education background is in business my degree my college degree is a business degree um and and it is it's a um, a bachelor, bachelor of science in I have a bachelor of science in music industry studies, and that, this was basically my um, attempt to add on the business acumen to the musical experience and, and training that I'd had over the years. Um, but it comes with a, a heavy dose of business, a heavy dose of uh, law, heavy dose of contracting, and of course, marketing. Marketing is a big part of the program as well because that's really important to any business, but especially the entertainment business, which obviously music very clearly is. But because of that, I, I tend to be uh, sensitive to what I know are marketing techniques. You know, marketing is it's it's about psychology. It's about influencing behavior. Um, it's about knowing or or believing or acting under the idea that um, it's little it's little things it's little things that convince people to make uh, one buying decision versus another and sometimes you know often in fact I I would argue the majority of the time um, the the things that make somebody choose to buy one thing over another are not only are they tiny they're they're very often unrelated to the actual product itself that's that's very common. Um, the reasons are often um, irrational and emotional, and this this is I mean this this explains why you find the most you know, numerically successful church churches out there. Um, you know, it, we'll set aside for a moment whether we can call them churches or not in a biblical sense, but to the extent that they present themselves as churches, they call themselves churches. You know, and some of them, as you know, don't even call themselves churches anymore because you know they've they've made a different marketing decision to use different terminology, right? But to the extent that they do call themselves churches, present themselves as as houses of worship, as gatherings of of the saints, that kind of a thing. The most numerically successful ones have been the ones who have have most successfully marketed themselves most successfully programmed themselves and created an image for themselves that's attractional and attractional not so much to to you know the 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 christ hating world or or those in our culture that would say i don't want any part of god you know those folks they're they're not going to to anything calling itself a church but they they wind up being the most attractional attractive and whatnot to um, what we might call cultural Christians, nominal Christians, sometimes carnal Christians—those that um, they they apply the label of Christian at least loosely to themselves. Um, but if you, when you drill right down to it, they don't seem to know anything about what they believe. They would be offended by the true uh, proclamation and, and, and true um, promotion of true biblical doctrine. That would offend them. They would, they, they would claim something like, that's not the Christianity that I grew up with, or that's not the Christianity I believe in, or that's that's not my Jesus. They would say stuff like that. And then, of course, you you, you also have some folks that are that are going to church as well who are um, 
you know, by, by profession they would be Christians, but you don't really see growth um, and you don't, you don't see a desire in their lives to, um, to become more mature in the faith, to know more, to become closer to, to God in terms of their knowledge and in terms of uh, the completeness of, of what they understand from the Word, from the Bible. Uh, there are a lot of those folks as well, and, and they go to church, you know, a lot of the reason that they go to church is for the, the social benefits and, and, the, and the, material, the, the sense of community, and, and those are good things, by the way. That, that is, that is a, an important part of being part of a local body of believers, but for some folks, that's, that's the reason. Right, so so if you if you took away everybody else, they wouldn't they wouldn't follow scripture and go to church, because the the main reason they're going is now gone. Um, this this and and unfortunately, a lot of churches have sensed this. They've sensed that the community and the in the you know I'm going with my friends and other people I can socialize with is such a big part of it that they that they emphasize that above and beyond any sort of doctrinal considerations any sort of um, prescriptive worship considerations <clears throat> and so you'll you'll find that, that some of these churches will uh, if it's between being specific about a doctrinal issue versus um, versus uh, losing some of that community or the the attractional um, uh, part of it as far as hanging out with friends and things like that and 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 socializing um, they will err towards the side of socializing right they'll, they'll they'll round off the hard edges of the doctrine in order to um, keep the community intact and they'll call it unity they'll call that unity even though uh, unity must first and foremost be about unity in belief unity in the nature of our faith. Um, so, I mean, so you have the spectrum of self-described Christians in the church, and Easter is the time of year where churches really, um, they, they really shift, a lot of churches, they shift to just a heavy marketing influence. And so it's more graphics, it's bigger programs, it's, it's egg hunts, it's, it's um, you, know, uh, you know, more media assets, it's, it's, um, a message that is is not only uh, you know if 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 solid it will be hey we're, we're going to preach the gospel here we're going to go straight to um, the 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 narrative and the truth about about Christ's uh, the the last days of his earthly ministry before the crucifixion that is and then into the resurrection like like if if they're preaching um, something that's faithful that it'll still be that right we'll still bring it back to just the um, you know we're not, we're not going to start exegeting uh, uh, you know Hebrews two or something on Easter right which which is okay there's nothing wrong with that particularly but but a lot of churches will go one step further and they'll say okay we're going to uniquely we're we're going to we're going to craft a unique service and a unique sermon. And a unique message um, that is going to be attractional or responsive or pleasing as much as we can get away with to the lost people that we believe are going to be here, or at least the unchurched people. You know, again, those people that they're 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 not really familiar with church generally, but they they may not be familiar with our church at all. They just felt like you know they somebody guilt tripped them and said, well, you know, you call yourself a Christian. You're not going to church on Easter. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to church on Easter. And they'll, they'll just pick a church and go so they can check that box. 
and and the church is, is thinking to themselves, okay, this is a recruiting opportunity, right here. This is um, this is the chance uh, for us to reach these people and bring them into fellowship. But but assuming that the church is a faithful church, I would argue that's almost never the case. It's almost never the case that now we're talking about a um, a chance to to uh, convert someone particularly. Yeah, you know, like I said, it, it's not like it doesn't happen. But this sort of arms race that I see every Easter, I guess it just, uh, eventually it, it starts to wear thin, it becomes disingenuous, it becomes a, a production and a program and a marketing campaign versus um, a slightly modified, I would argue slightly modified or emphasized um, Lord's Day service. I mean, you know, we don't, there, there, there is no institutionalized holiday of Easter in scripture any more than there's an institutionalized holiday of Christmas or Thanksgiving or any of the other things that we um, have culturally adopted as part of our, our, our routine. Not that those things are bad. I don't want you, I don't, I don't want you to hear me wrongly. Um, I'm not saying that it's some sort of a sin to celebrate Easter or Christmas, Thanksgiving and, and place special emphasis on things. Um, but certainly, you know, there, there, there's a reason that I'm a Baptist. There's a reason that I'm a low church guy. There's a reason that I'm uh, that I my my general um, um, uh, angle or philosophy towards this is if it's not in Scripture, we should be very careful about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you know the the reason that we practiced believer <clears throat> the reason that we practice believers baptism the reason that we practice um, communion the Lord's Supper or because these are institutions of the church that are very clear in Scripture. There's a reason that we show up every Sunday. This is a clear, clear um, um, step of obedience that is instituted in Scripture. It's required of us. There's a reason that we love one another. There's a reason that we um, sing songs and hymns and you know spiritual songs and and we preach and we learn and we teach and, and these things. This, these are all prescribed scripturally. Um, of course, we do a whole bunch of things that are not prescribed scripturally, right? There's, there's no place in scripture where it says, um, you know, start a website where you talk about Christian news and you do discernment work and you identify false teachers and you, and you parse doctrine um, to try to figure out what is true versus false and, and make sure that everybody knows. It's, you know, but there is a prescription in scripture for testing everything and for uh, rebuking false teachers. There, that that is we are commanded to do that, and so to the extent that we are being um, um, novel or we're being creative or we're being um, you know we, we have different ways of doing that. It's a couple things: make sure that what we are doing does fit scriptural prescription, but also make sure that um, at the same time that our heart is for the love for you know is loving God, is loving the truth, is loving our fellow our fellow man is for the right purposes. Um, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And we should be doing that with anything that is an extra biblical, um, practice because every, every extra biblical practice is not necessarily sinful as, as we know in and of itself. You know, I'm driving a car right now. The Bible doesn't talk about cars, but I'm not sinning by driving this car, right? It's, it's, we, we have to be careful with our categories here and in, in the same sense that protestia or, um, any other uh, parachurch ministry or something like that may it's the it's institutionalizing is not in scripture it is an extra biblical thing um, Easter is also an extra biblical thing and so whatever we're doing whatever we're practicing we need to be very very careful that it fits within 
um, within the bounds of um, scriptural prescription and limitations. And so to, to the extent that a church is doing extra things on Easter, those, those things aren't necessarily sinful. I don't want you to look at your church and be like, hey, we put up, fl- we put up flowers and, and, you know, we, we, we change the graphics on our screens and this and that. And so, oh, man, it's, you know, we're sinning here. No, not necessarily. I, but we, we do have to be very careful to assess what our motives are, what, what our heart motives are for doing what we're doing. Is this for, is this for the purpose of, um, and, and of course we can hide anything we do under, well, we're just trying to honor God or we're just trying to preach the gospel, try to, trying to reach the lost. We're trying to evangelize. Okay. And I would ask you, is that the purpose of the Lord's day service service in and of itself evangelism? Well, no, it isn't. It's to, it's to gather as the body of Christ to obediently worship God and, uh, disciple and teach and, um, you know, observe, observe the ordinances. That's, that's why we gather. Um, not that evangelism can't happen within that service, but that's not the primary focus, except apparently on Easter when every church decides that it's now an evangelism service. And it, I would be hard pressed to tell any church, Hey, don't, don't, if you know that you're going to have twice as many people at your church and, and, and the majority or a good portion of them are unsaved, don't, don't, respond to that and respond to it, but make sure your heart is in the right place. Make sure your heart is not, is, is, is not in the place where we're saying we're going to, we're going to um, change things to make sure that people like our church better than the other churches. And I, I mean, I hate to say it, it's sad to say, but that's, that really sums up a lot of, um, what, what, uh, what some churches do. They're competing against other churches. So much of, especially in, in, modern America, um, you know, in, 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 I should say in present day America, I don't want to, um, make a philosophical statement or ideological statement in present day America. So much of church, uh, church's growth winds up not so much being from new converts per se, or people that have no experience with, with church or Jesus or Christianity. There's, there's some of that, of course, but a lot of it is just transfer growth. It's transfer growth. So it's people that left one church and came to your church instead. They were going to a church before and they decided because, well, that church just, they, they did, you know, this or that, or I didn't like the pastor's preaching or the music was too loud or, or for whatever reason, you know, or, or very often, um, somebody hurt my feelings or I had a, I had a disagreement with somebody or some sort of a relationship issue. And so we left, you know, or I didn't get to serve the way, way I wanted to serve or something, you know, these kind of things, they leave that church and come to other churches. And we tend to see it as, oh, our church is growing, but is our church growing at the expense of another imperfect, of course, cause they all are, but another faithful church. Yeah. Often, often that's what's happening. Um, and, and so in that, with that knowledge, it's very difficult for vocational ministers, for pastors to not, to, to, to not let that, uh, cloud their thinking, you know, where, where I would argue in some ways they're ministering in fear, fear that if they don't do things quite the right way and, and, you know, they, they believe that their job is to basically manage the feelings of the congregation. Um, and, and rather than, um, be for the worship of God first. You know, how many of the, how many of these churches would do things differently? How many of these pastors would do things differently if they knew before they did them, Hey, this is going to, 
increase the number of people who, who attend here next month or decrease the number of people. You know, I, I think we would be we would be lying to ourselves if we said that many pastors would not deliberately change things in response to that knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it that way. You, you would hope that it would be no. We're going to do things obediently to the Lord, and He will bring the growth, um, or or He will you know He giveth you know the, the God giveth and God take taketh away even even in terms of the people that are coming to our church. And we're not going to change the sermon. We're not going to change the, the music. We're not going to change the, the way that we do the service. We're not going to change the decor in the church um, for the purpose of trying to um, engineer growth. Instead, I mean, the entirety of the time I've been alive, the engineering growth marketing mentality has been um, everywhere. It's been, and it's, an, it's, it's affected even... Um, faithful, you know, quote-unquote fuddy-duddy churches, they still do some of that. And and uh, that's just, and Easter is just the biggest example of that, I think, on the calendar. So I guess what I'm saying, I'm not trying to just rant about Easter. Gather and celebrate and, I mean, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, worship Him uh, this Sunday. If, you're, if your church is having a, a good Friday service, which some, some churches do, um, I don't know how long that's been a thing in in low church traditions, Baptist traditions, uh, Reformed traditions. Maybe it's been a thing longer than I think, but I seem to remember as a kid, Good Friday services not being a thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, as, as I, you know, in my adulthood, some of these um, more, more liturgical traditions started making their way into Baptist churches. And ironically, I mean, I, I find it ironic, like, like our church celebrates, uh, we, they, like they do Advent stuff now, right? So, so there's like an Advent candle and in, in every, every Sunday coming up to Christmas, we like the Advent candle and, and, you know, talk about a specific, uh, component of, of, of the first coming of Christ and, and whatnot. And again, nothing sinful about that particularly, but I do find it ironic that, part of the reason that churches, low church, um, you know, congregational churches, Baptist churches, um, E-free churches, whatever, whatever they are, churches that, that are less liturgical are starting to adopt some of this, some of, some of this, uh, traditional liturgical calendar because people are leaving those liturgical churches and coming to, um, low church, uh, places instead. So people are leaving, you know, Methodist churches and Episcopal churches and, 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 um, Anglicanism and some of these other traditions, um, and coming to Baptist churches and non-denominational churches and Bible churches and things like this. And, and so because of that, we're trying to make it f- seem familiar for them. And so we're adopting some of those practices that they, not that they left those churches to get away from those things, but the irony to me is, is they came, they left those churches and came to, um, you know, your Baptist church for a reason and you're trying to make it seem like the place that they left. It just, just seems ironic to me. Again, to reemphasize, there's nothing sinful. There's nothing sinful about adopting, um, you know, unique traditions or things like that. As long as that doesn't become um, a legalism, as long as it doesn't become part of obedience. So someone in your congregation says, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of like Advent. We don't do a calendar at our house and... and you know, we just, you know, week after week, we celebrate uh, the Lord's Day. We gather, we worship, uh, we emphasize uh, the resurrection. 
we teach th- about the birth of Christ and what's special about that and why why it is such an important um, revelation of God's work and His character. Um, but we don't do we don't put it on our calendar in some sort of special way that emphasizes it one week and then by you know by logic de-emphasizes it other weeks. Um, you know, if you have a person like that in your church and you're celebrating Advent or you're doing some big Easter extravaganza and they're not, they're, they're not you know, particularly on board with it, as long as that doesn't become a legalism where you're saying, hey, you, know, you, you really need to get on board with, with you know, our church's um, Easter Super Bowl here. You know, as long as you're not getting on their case for it, it's, I, I think it's okay. Every, every church has some... And I'm, and I'm very much... You guys know this. I'm very much a... Um, a a prescriptive kind of a guy, a regulative worship uh, proponent. And as we probably, as as you probably heard me talk about before, there's generally two um, schools of thought when it comes to programming church worship. The, the, what they call the normative principle of worship and the regulative principle of worship. The normative principle of worship being more or less in the, the Lutheran tradition of if it's not specifically prohibited in scripture, um, you can do it, and 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 then the the, the uh, regulative principle of worship is sort of the flip side of that, where it's saying if it's not specifically prescribed in Scripture, if you can't point to the Bible and say here's where it says to do this, um, then you shouldn't be doing it. And so every, everything that is in your worship service, everything that your church does, um, should have direct scriptural evidence, direct scriptural uh, prescription. So when we preach and teach, well, that's that comes directly from Scripture. When we sing, sing um, um, hymns and spiritual songs and psalms, that comes directly from Scripture. Uh, when we have uh, pastors flying in on a trapeze with a with a flaming motorcycle and pyrotechnics, that's not in Scripture. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, that's that's generally what it means, but. In terms, there there is a link between the reg, the regulative principle of worship versus the normative principle and soteriology. It's not a coincidence that you see um, Calvinist churches, Reformed churches, ch- churches that are um, uh, practice and, and believe uh, the doctrines of grace. Most most specifically, the order of salvation being that regeneration precedes faith, churches that practice that much, much more likely to hold to a regulative principle of worship than a church that is, you know, in a traditional Baptist uh, decisionist free will um, tradition, um, those that believe that uh, faith precedes regeneration that Christ died for the whole world and that we activate it through our decision for him. Our, our salvation is activated by, by that decision. And, and I, I, I realize they would take issue with my description there. But basically, when, when, when you um, come to the conclusion that the decision is the pivot point of salvation, then you're going to do whatever you can do you know, within within bounds. I'm not saying you know necessarily sinful things here, but but you're going to have you're going to feel a, a lot more uh, liberated to practice your worship, practice your evangelism, practice those things um, in in as whatever way is necessary to whatever way is necessary to bring someone to Christ, whatever way is necessary to get them to make that decision. 
right? So churches that, that are practicing altar calls and they, they don't, they, they believe that, um, again, that Jesus died for all, um, but, but that, uh, that you need to accept him in order for, in order to receive that gift. Churches that practice things this way are much more likely to be normative in their worship. Um, it's, it's almost a, it's almost a, if you drew a Venn diagram, it would almost be a, a, a direct circle, one circle of churches that are normative in their worship and churches that, um, that are Arminian in their soteriology. And that, that being that, um, they don't, they don't accept the idea that, uh, they, they, they'll teach election as God's fore, foreknowledge rather than his decision that we're not a part of before time, which is what those of us that are, um, that hold to the doctrines of grace and, and God's sovereignty would, would hold to. And that's why, that's why we can be prescriptive about our worship because our worship practices are not ever going to be attractional enough to quote unquote, bring someone to Christ. You know, God certainly uses us in that process, but he's not dependent on us in that process. And to the, to the, uh, the person that believes is more of a decisionist that believes salvation pivots on the decision of the, of the unbeliever. Um, they, they, they believe that they have a much more, or at least they practice, that they have a much more uh, pivotal role in evangelism and bringing someone to Christ. That's why they do altar calls the way that they do. Uh, it's why they write the kind of music they do. And it, and it just so happens, and this is, um, it's, it's, it just so happens that it, that it agrees with or synthesizes with marketing with marketing um, uh, practices in churches, with with ecclesiology that is very market-driven, methodology that is very market-driven and program-driven, and you know fancy programs and graphics and events and all these kind of things. Because again, it's about getting the decision in their mind. Um, and and it, and it's not that I reject that belief because I because I don't appreciate the market marketing kind of things that churches are doing now it's I don't appreciate the marketing methodology these churches are doing because I think that it it flows from a false soteriology it flows from a soteriology that puts us puts Christians puts churches evangelist ministries um, in a much more pivotal role in salvation than I believe the Bible supports if we believe God is the author of salvation, if we're monergists, if we believe that um, God initiates it, he, he makes it happen, it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that he regenerates the, 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 the dead heart, the lost person, which, which at that point enables them to believe, that enables them to make that decision, then why would I change what I, what I believe the Bible instructs for corporate worship or for personal worship or for evangelism or teaching or anything else to try to um, interfere with that process. If the Holy Spirit gives the increase, if the Holy Spirit regenerates, if God is the sole actor in the miracle of salvation, why do I, why do I think that it's up to me to, to grease the skids, so to speak? To grease the wheels, to make sure that it's to make sure that it's it's as easy as possible. It's you know it's God's doing this work, 
and we are used for it. We have instructions scripturally, scripturally on how to be obedient, but we are not prime players in this miracle. We're just, you know, we're not. And the Bible does not support in any way that we are. Um, and so you're, you're never going to find, you're never going to find me supporting the idea that churches should just do whatever they want to quote unquote, reach the lost. We first and foremost are to love God. That is the, that is the, um, the first and most important commandment. Everything else is subordinate to that. Even loving our neighbors as ourselves is subordinate to our love for God, right? Jesus said this himself. That the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then the second is like it, but but the second is subordinate to it. It follows. You cannot love your neighbor. You cannot evangelize. You cannot uh, preach the gospel or practice um, proper worship, anything like that. You can't do those things without first and foremost loving God. And and your love for God should bring you to uh, proper obedience um, of what his word teaches. And that's what, that's what we should be doing on uh, Easter Sunday as much as any other Sunday. And I, ho- I hope this conversation has been edifying to you. Um, certainly reach out if you have questions about it. I will be uh, going to church tonight to um, participate in a, in a Good Friday worship service. Um, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. We will be gathering on Sunday like we do every Sunday um, in a few days to uh, celebrate the Lord's Day first and foremost with, of course, a special emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus because it's Easter and um, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, check your hearts, test everything, um, bring every bring scripture to bear on everything that, you're, that, that you practice and, and um, especially with the brethren, do it with patience and love and, and you know, long suffering and you know, bearing one another's burdens. Um, hopefully this podcast gave you something to think about uh, for all the all the team at Protestia. Have a, a good rest of the week. Have a, a good um, a good weekend. And of course, uh, go to church and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with the brethren. Um, sing sing loud, shout it from the rooftops, and celebrate the uh, the most wonderful gift and miracle uh, that the world has ever seen in, in all of our lives. But um, in, in the world in general, our Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, have a good Easter. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. As always, Semper Reformanda.